Hello, everyone, and welcome to the April 26th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with the Floyd Skarin Law Firm. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our crime report. A former EDD employee, 44-year-old Andrea M. Gervais, who lives in Roseville, pleaded guilty to theft of government money in a scheme involving 97 fraudulent pandemic unemployment assistance claims. The investigation began when federal agents discovered that someone had filed an unemployment claim using the identity of Senator Dianne Feinstein, a sitting U.S. senator. This fraudulent claim was processed for payment and Gervais received an EDD debit card in the senator's name for about $21,000. Agents further discovered that Bank of America ATM cameras captured Gervais on multiple occasions, withdrawing cash from at least seven of the EDD debit cards. And at least one captured transaction showed Gervais using the debit card issued to the senator. At least 10 of the 97 fraudulent claims were processed for payment, and nearly $200,000 in unemployment insurance and benefits were paid out to Gervais's Roseville address. The potential value of all fraudulent 97 claims associated with this scheme exceeded $2 million. Gervais remains on pretrial release as she awaits sentencing. She is scheduled to be sentenced on August 9 when she faces a maximum statutory penalty of 10 years in prison and a $250,000 fine. Farm labor company owners 40-year-old Elias Perez, who lives in Greenfield, and 37-year-old Alejandra Perez, who lives in Soledad, were arraigned on over 20 felony counts of insurance and tax fraud after allegedly underreporting payroll by over $17 million, resulting in a loss of over $1.4 million to their insurance companies. The two defendants are owners of farm labor contracting companies in Greenfield called PFL Contracting Incorporated, Future AG Management Incorporated, and Future Harvesters and Packers Incorporated. The companies primarily hire farm labor employees to harvest crops. The Department of Insurance discovered the alleged fraud after learning that an injured employee was treated out of a garage by an unlicensed professional. An investigation found that an employee of one of the businesses sustained a work-related injury to their back when they tripped and fell while harvesting crops. The company allegedly did not provide the injured employee with the required professional medical treatment. For two weeks, a supervisor took the injured worker to seek treatment from an unlicensed professional who operated a business out of a garage. A comparison of records from the insurance companies and the California Employment Development Department showed large discrepancies in the payroll reported by the defendants' companies. They reported to EDD that they paid nearly $29 million in wages, while reporting only $23 million to their insurance companies for the same time period. Then, a thorough review and audit of the payroll checks determined that the two companies actually paid over $41 million in wages for the same time frame. 
Thus, they allegedly underreported over $17 million in wages, which resulted in about $1.42 million in premium fraud owed to their insurance companies and potentially $1.28 million in unpaid taxes. Elias Perez was charged with five felony counts, and Alejandra Perez was charged with 21 felony counts. Both were arraigned in Monterey County Superior Court. 41-year-old Ahmad Kazi Nuri, who lives in Sacramento, was arraigned on two felony counts of workers' compensation insurance fraud after allegedly misrepresenting symptoms following a work-related injury in order to receive $21,000 in undeserved benefits. Nuri, while working as a welder in 2019, sustained a head injury and contusions on multiple parts of his body. A workers' comp claim was filed with his employer's insurance company, and Nuri began receiving workers' compensation benefits. He presented himself as someone with severe amnesia and as someone who had difficulty performing daily functions of living, like speaking, walking, or driving. An investigation found that Nuri misrepresented his symptoms to medical professionals and to those handling his claim. Undercover surveillance showed Nuri speaking, walking, and driving, all functions he claimed not to be able to do as a result of the injury. The surveillance also showed him performing duties at an automobile dismantling yard, like loading items onto a flatbed trailer and changing a spare tire. In addition, two of his former co-workers reported they saw him out and about acting normally. One co-worker reported seeing Nuring inside a retail store, <clears throat> and at the time he was walking unassisted, laughing, and speaking on the telephone. The second co-worker reported seeing Nuri at another retail store and that he drove a vehicle into the parking lot, exited the vehicle, and was able to walk with no walking aids. After watching the video surveillance, his doctor reported the actions Nuri was performing in the video were drastically different than the actions he was performing during his office visits. The doctor also reported that Nuri showed no evidence of neurocognitive or orthopedic deficits during the entirety of his claim period. Due to Nuri's misrepresentations, he received $21,000 in undeserved workers' compensation payments, and his employer's insurance company lost an additional $80,000 in medical, legal, and investigation costs. Nuri was arrested as his residence and the case is being prosecuted by the Sacramento County District Attorney's Office. And in regulatory news, a new proposed federal law, H.R. 1996, known as the Safe Banking Act, protects insurance carriers from prosecution for pot industry coverage. The Safe Banking Act generally prohibits a federal banking regulator from penalizing a depository institution for providing banking services to a legitimate cannabis-related business. At first glance, it's not clear how this proposed law might affect the insurance industry. 
However, the American Property Casualty Insurance Association released a statement commending the House of Representatives for passing the Safe Banking Act. The association claims that the proposed legislation will prevent federal prosecutions of and civil liability for insurance agents, brokers, and carriers, as well as their officers, directors, or employees when engaging in the business of insurance in states that have legalized cannabis in some form. The proposed law provides greater certainty surrounding the insurance marketplace for cannabis-related legal businesses and consumers adhering to state laws. This legislation addresses the legal uncertainty created by the dueling state and federal treatment of cannabis. While marijuana is illegal under the federal law, 36 states and the District of Columbia have legalized some form of marijuana. The bill passed the House of Representatives with bipartisan support. It now moves to the Senate for its consideration. Last month, the California Department of Fair Employment and Housing provided guidance that gave California employers the green light to make vaccinations a mandatory requirement for return to work with some exceptions. The next step is to see what employers will follow this guidance and require vaccinations for post-pandemic return to work. For more than a year, state university campuses across California have been largely empty and students and professors have been forced to adapt to an online college experience. But the California State University and the University of California systems have their eyes set on reopening school this fall, and they announced they will require COVID-19 vaccines for students and faculty in order to return to campus. The California State University and the University of California's vaccination requirements affect more than a million students and faculty across California. While ideally the requirement will begin in the fall of 2021 term, students and faculty will not be required to get the vaccination until the U.S. Food and Drug Administration formally approves one or more of the vaccines on the market for general use. The FDA has only issued emergency use authorization for the Pfizer and Modera COVID vaccines this past December, but the vaccines could receive full approval later this year. Use of the Johnson & Johnson vaccine has been paused, pending investigation over reports of rare blood clots. The California State University Chancellor Joseph Castro called the approach the most comprehensive and consequential university plan for COVID-19 vaccines in the country. While the terms of the university system vaccine plan have yet to be finalized, officials announced the plan now to give students, faculty, and staff time to prepare. University officials say that if students are unable to find a vaccination provider on their own, their student health centers might be able to help. The California State University system boasts over 485,000 students across 20 campuses. The University of California system has 10 campuses with over 280,000 students and roughly 227,000 faculty and staff. 
News of the university vaccine plan comes as California has one of the lowest case rates in the country. Cal-OSHA has cited Sierra Pacific Industries more than $108,000 for workplace safety and health violations after one of its employees was fatally injured while a pipeline on an air compressor exploded. Last September, an employee working for Sierra Pacific Industries in Lincoln was setting up a Quincy 300 compressor when a pipeline on the air compressor exploded. Pieces of the pipeline hit two employees nearby, injuring one and killing the other. The Kalosha deputy chief said that working on equipment attached to pressure vessels such as air compressors requires special precautions. And employers must identify and evaluate potential hazards before assigning employees to perform work on this hazardous machinery and equipment. Sierra Pacific Industries was cited for nine violations, including three serious accident-related, three serious, and three general in nature. The serious accident-related violations were cited for the employer's failure to test the discharge piping prior to operating the Quincy 300 compressor and ensure proper connection, to ensure a pressure a pressure-relieving safety device was installed in the line between the compressor and the block valve, and to ensure all pressure piping for the compressor was designed and fit in accordance with good engineering practice. A serious violation is cited when there is a realistic possibility that death or serious harm could result from the actual hazard created by the violation. And in medical news, a new COVID-19 therapy has completed its Phase two human trial, and the results are very promising. The drug, Molnupiravir, was developed at Emory University by the university's drug innovation company. It was then acquired by Miami-based company Ridgeback Biotherapeutics, who later partnered with Merck and Company to develop the drug further. Merck and Ridgeback Biotherapeutics announced preliminary results from a new Phase two randomized double-blind placebo-controlled trial to evaluate the safety, tolerability, and efficacy to treat the coronavirus. Of 202 treated participants, no safety signals have been identified, and of the four serious adverse events reported, None were considered to be study drug-related. The experimental phase of the development effort shows a new hope for prevention and treatment of COVID-19 and other dangerous viruses. In addition to its reduction of COVID-19 transmission, the drug is likely to be useful against influenza, Ebola, and a large swath of other viruses as well. Its development appears to be a major advancement in virus control and should be active against COVID-19 variants and variants of other viruses. And in other industry news, RIMS, the Risk Management Society, is a global not-for-profit committed to advancing the practice of risk management throughout the world. 
One of the topics, disruption, how big data, AI, and telehealth are transforming claims management, will chronicle the journey that is transforming care for injured workers, producing better outcomes and less costs, and improving the patient's experience. Although telehealth was already in use for workers' compensation, the pandemic pushed its evolution forward to quickly and permanently make virtual end-to-end care possible and even preferable for rapid, safe recovery from an injury. One of the presenters, David Lupinski, the Vice President of Digital Health and Innovation at Corvell, said his company started connecting with the injured worker by way of telehealth several years ago, so it could immediately determine the best course of care, saving time off work, and getting the right level of care for the injury. Now the company can provide remote physician visits, home pharmacy delivery, in-home tele-rehab, instruction for DME equipment operation, and mental health therapy with the case manager, the medical team, the patient, all connected digitally. He said that patients love this approach. They are more engaged, and it costs less and produces superior outcomes. What happens when the enhancement is more in more demand than the original product? That was the quandary that f- faced a few years ago by entrepreneurs operating an insurance agency. And like all good entrepreneurs, they followed the money right into a whole new business. Dino Carbone, Executive Vice President for Sales and Marketing at SmartPay Solutions, LLC, tells a story published by Harvard Business Journal. He and his partners had set out to make it easier for clients to pay their insurance bills. Their pay-as-your-go software was a hit. Soon clients wanted to buy the software as well as the insurance. The partners then hung a for-sale sign on their agency and set up shop in an emerging field of InsurTech. In 2013, Connecticut Innovations became an investor in the product. And in 2014, a Series A round closed with $1.4 million, including investments from Tenant Capital Partners and Stonehenge Growth Capital. But in 2015, the partners changed course and took the firm private again. Today, SmartPay has more than 10,000 businesses on its platform. SmartPay shops more than 30 carriers, including many of the best-known firms for the best rates and coverage matches. But the element that sets SmartPay apart from its competitors is that its software can make changes in 24 to 48 hours as staffing levels change. And during a pandemic, that ability is an asset. Keeping pace with ever-changing workers' comp rates has been a selling point for SmartPay. And the pandemic has been a boon for SmartPay's business. The underlying software logic makes it applicable to any insurance situation where coverage is based on variables like headcount or pay rate. And the company says major expansion is ahead and SmartPay is on course to double its revenue. Mitchell International Incorporated, headquartered in San Diego, California, delivers smart technology solutions that simplify and accelerate claims handling and repair processes. 
The company announced the results of a survey of workers' compensation professionals in the U.S., revealing how the COVID-19 pandemic has influenced technology usage in the industry. The survey results show that the industry has rapidly increased its technology adoption in the last year, with more than 50% of respondents saying they adopted telemedicine during the pandemic. 40% of the participants said changes and pressures related to the COVID-19 pandemic are the main driving factors for the increased pace of technology adoption in the industry today. The majority of respondents overwhelmingly believe that telemedicine and predictive analytics are the technologies that will have the biggest impact on the industry within the next 5 to 10 years. Respondents believe the most valuable applications of telemedicine, driven largely by a rising need for remote health care, will be for provider visits. They also reported that they foresee predictive analytics being used best for claims triage, severity, or reserving. Mitchell officials claim the workers' compensation industry has greatly benefited from technology innovation in recent years, but the need to enable the continuity of care has brought explosive growth in new technology adoption as a result of COVID-19. Mitchell's survey also uncovered the biggest claims challenges experienced by workers' comp industry professionals. Almost one-quarter of the participants ranked adapting to challenges from the COVID-19 pandemic as the top obstacle their organization is facing today, followed by workflow efficiency and cost pressures. Other hurdles reported included return-to-work time, employee turnover, IT budget, keeping up with regulatory changes, and pharmaceutical management. So that's all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, your iPad, or your Android device by searching for the WorkComp Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish our daily news, our podcast, and other utilities on our free WorkCompApps.com smartphone app. Again, I'm Renee Foles with Floyd Scarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.